Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty, I'm Monty Judah with Lion Land Ministries, and this is uh, B'nai Shalom, our Arab Shabbat broadcast. We're glad to have you, and thank you for joining with us. A couple of uh, quick announcements I want to share with you. Camp Yeshua, our youth camp, is coming up this summer. Uh, and if you want to be a part of that, uh, you go to events at lionlamb.net. And uh, let me just mention a couple of things about that. One, um, if we're looking, still looking for some adult staff, uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, and you can contact us. Let us know what your interest is. And we do do a little vetting. You know, for the whole team that comes in. But if you think you have a heart to do that, uh, please contact us for it. Also, uh, we can now have established um, the Lynn Judah Memorial Fund. It's now up and running, and uh, people are sending um, offerings into that. And we're using those monies to help with kids being able to go to camp this year. Uh, very happily to see that process already underway. And even if you can't come to camp, but you'd like to help us with the camp for the youth, uh, well, you can send a donation into the Lynn uh, Judah Help Fund, Memorial Fund, and uh, we'll get it distributed to those that uh, would like to go. All right, I also want to mention coming up in the middle of the year is Shavuot um, and the Feast of Weeks. And we also are opening that up for registration. That will be Memorial Day weekend this year. And we'd love to have you come uh, here and join with other brethren from all over the country to observe the Feast of Weeks with us, the Day of Proclamation. So those are some up-and-coming things uh, for this year. And I hope that you're all preparing for the new season of festivals of the Lord, the appointed times of the Lord, and to be a part of those things for this year. All right, without any further ado, uh, let's go to Kiddush and we'll get our service underway. Welcome. Please join our family as we usher in the Sabbath. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Let's see the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei rihagafeh, Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. See the blessing over the bread. 
We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Hamutzi Lechemin Haaretz, Blessed are thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Now, husbands, let's, let's bless our wives together. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you so much for my wife, Father, and the blessing that she is to me. Um, I thank you for the strength that I receive through her, Father, uh, from you. I just praise you for her, Father, for the beauty, Father, just for um, the goodness that she is, Father. The way that she reads your word, Father, and spends time in your word, Father, I get to learn about you, Father, and motivates me to do the same. Thank you, Father, we can be an encouragement to one another, that we can be a, a team that functions and works through life together. Thank you that she is um, a pillar of strength, Father, for me when I'm weak, and I get to be the same thing for her, Father. I praise you, Father, that you reveal so much of yourself um, through my wife, and I just I rejoice to know this, Father. Thank you for your continual goodness, Father, thank you she, she sustains our home and takes care of our child. And for many more to come. Thank you, Father, again, for your faithfulness to me, Father, through my wife. Um, thank you, Father, you give me the ability to care for her as well. I praise you, Father, and again, I thank you for all your continual goodness to us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Let's bless our sons.
you ever be. May He bring you home unto the land prepared for you. May God bless you and grant you long life. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michmocha. Michmocha Baelim Adonai Michmocha Nedahar Bachodesh Nohora Techilot Oh, say, Felay. Oh, say, Felay. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you, O Lord? Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha'shabat, la'asot et ha'shabat l'adortam b'rit olam. B'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael odhit le'olam, k'shashet yamim asadonai et ha'shamayim v'et ha'aretz avayom ha'shvi'i shabat v'yinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day, he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. If we all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu 
Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Vayed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Vayahafta. Vayahafta et Adonai Ochecha, Pachol Levavcha, Ufkol Nashicha, Uvachol Meodecha, Vahayu, Hadavrim Haale Asherm Chime Zavcha, Hayom Alevavcha, Vashinantam Lavanecha, all together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. This first song has a bit of a testimony to it. Um, I was desperate to get my in-laws to understand uh, this walk. And um, it took a while. The final, the final thing that uh, really got them in was actually Monty, some teachings of Monty. But I, I could tell that they were turning. I remember one day that mother-in-law, she phoned me up and said, Andrew, have you ever read Psalm 19? Um, and I could just tell something was changing because it's a wonderful psalm that speaks about the Torah, uh, the ways of our God. And the psalmist, yeah, we have such baggage in the church, but the psalmist just speaks about, it's perfect. The law of God is perfect. It's returns the soul and gives joy to the heart and lives forevermore. And, uh, and so I hope you like this version. This is actually, uh, this, this is the psalm that got me, got me writing psalms because I mean, as I saw those words, I just thought, wow, there's some wonderful words here. The heavens declare the glory of God. Jesus. 
chapter 18, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. As you are opening the scripture, as always, I like to do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachabanu Mikol HaAmim Venatan Lanu Etorato Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion for this week is entitled Yithro, uh, which comes from the very first um, sentence, first verse of chapter 18 of Exodus, where it says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. And that name, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, is the name and the title of our Torah portion. This is one of the most exciting Torah portions in all of Scripture. Here we are in the book of Exodus, and the children of Israel have now been saved and delivered from Egypt. The last portion we talked about, he crossed, they crossed over the Red Sea, and they've now been delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh, and they have been saved. The Exodus, if you will, is now complete. It's one of the things where if you solely looked at the book of Exodus and thought in your mind that the book is only about the children of Israel leaving Egypt, you would be mistaken. And perhaps the English name of this book of the Bible is maybe not as accurate as it could be. The Hebrew name, of course, is Shemot. It's the book of names, where I've talked about for several weeks now, we learned the name of God. And then what you learn after you learn the name of somebody, you learn the character of that person, and you get to know them. And that's truly what is going on here in this book. And as the story has progressed... God has made himself known to all the people. He's delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And now he's taken them to the mountain, the place where God spoke to Moses and says, Bring my children, the children of Israel, here to this place, that they may worship me, that they may form a covenant with me. And it's here, in this Torah portion, that the children of Israel arrive at Mount Sinai. And this portion is only three chapters long, 18, 19, and 20. However... We, in this Torah portion, we have, in Exodus chapter 20, the reading of the Ten Commandments. One of the most powerful pieces of all scripture, where God spoke from the mountain and has given us His commandment, His instruction. And in Exodus chapter 19, we have the prologue of that, which is where God truly is making covenant with the children of Israel. And it's not just the children of Israel, because that group of people was a mixed multitude, from all different backgrounds and all different heritages. But what they are is they were a group of people 
that God had delivered and saved by grace through faith, walking through the Red Sea. They were immersed in the sea, if you will. And now He is making covenant with them. And if you identify with a group of people, if you identify with the people of God, if you desire to be a part of the people of God, then these covenants and these commandments are for you. They were spoken to you. And this portion here has, like I said, one of the most important passages of Scripture where now God will begin to make covenant with His people to come down and join with His people. So much, so powerful is it and so special and significant that it is, is that the whole sort of routine of this making of a covenant between God and Israel is the same way and is likened unto a covenant between a man and a wife, and a marriage covenant. And that this time in which these, these vows are made and that they commit themselves to one another as it happens in a wedding, is the same way that God, the groom, is coming to be and claim his bride that he has redeemed out of her house and then is going to make covenant with her and join with her. This covenant between man and God is so important to our faith. If we are not to be joined with God, if we're just, then we are simply just the servants of God and we serve Him, whatever He says, whatever He does, and that is our lot in life. No, God has made covenant with us, called us His peculiar, special treasure. That He comes and He sees value in us, and wants us to be with Him and joined to Him. That is the love that God has. That it is not, it is a service that we are to Him. We, are, we do submit to Him and His power and His authority. However, what it is, is it's an example of a loving relationship, such as it is between a man and a wife, that God wants to be with us. I've always wondered, in my mind, why the title of our Torah portion, which sometimes the titles of the Torah portion, sometimes they are just the first phrase of the script, of of the portion and describes, you know, just the start of what the story is going on there. At other times, though, the name of the Torah portion sometimes has significant meaning and as a theme throughout the entirety of the passage. So I've always wondered and questioned, why would Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, why was his name almost given some authority here? Why is his name used to title this Torah portion that's extremely important to us with the Ten Commandments? It's interesting because you have to go into the meaning of his name and you start to see, again, more of God revealing his character to us. The name Jethro, or Yithro in the Hebrew, the meaning of it, it means his abundance. His abundance, the, the root of that is, is Yathar or Yathar. There's so, so, several uh, Hebrew words that, are, uh, that form the root of his name. And it's talking about the abundance. That God is so powerful, so wonderful, that he shares his abundance with us. His abundance of love, his abundance of blessing that he shares. The children of Israel here on their journey, they've been given bread from heaven. They've been given water from a rock. That he is meeting all of their needs and he is blessing them with all the things that are needed to sustain one's life. And that God is showing through his character his love for the children of Israel and sharing his abundance. He's meeting their needs. He's protecting them in battle. He's doing all of these things for him and his love and his blessing is abundant. We are filled up full when we join with God. 
when we are with Him and in a relationship with Him, that He fills us up full, that we are satisfied, that we have no need or we have no lack of, of anything when we are in the service of God and in His covenant. So even just with the name Jethro, I can sort of, I can give a message and a teaching having to do with that. If you look at the Hebrew letters of His name, I could spend, uh, a great amount of time on each letter of the me of Jethro's name, and I can teach from that. It's a yod, a tav, a resh, and a vav. Yod, the hand, the very hand of God, and with an outstretched hand, God delivered them. The tav means the covenant, and so here we are in a Torah portion where God is making covenant with the children of Israel. The resh represents the chief or the head, and so we're making covenant with the king of the universe, the chief, the head, and it's the the head covenant, if you will, of all of the covenants that God makes with people. And then the Vav, with, which represents attached, or it's symbolized by a nail. That This is the covenant that is made that we are attached to God. And then you can also connect the hand and the nail, that this has to do with the nailed hand, is also what we're talking about here. So, even in just the meaning of Jethro's name, I can teach you all of the various principles that God teaches through His covenant that when we make covenant with Him, He's making a covenant with us. We become attached to Him. He is the King, the Head, the Chief. All of these things. And so, this name Jethro is very, very powerful if you just start digging into the individual meanings of the letters to describe what is happening in this Torah portion. What a wonderful blessing that is that God has given to us. Let me now go into some of the story here and let me draw out again some more principles of what's happening with the children of Israel. What takes place here is Jethro comes and joins with Moses, comes and meets with him. There is a uh, family reunion, so to speak, that Moses, who last time we heard about Jethro, Jethro was sending him, he says, go in peace. When Moses came and said, I have to go to Egypt and I have to free all of the Hebrews that are enslaved in Egypt. Jethro was actually a couple of a little bit more backstory about this man. He was a priest of Midian. He went by ever, several other names. Reuel is another name that he had, and sometimes in scripture you might hear that name, or in other uh, descriptions of the time that name is present. And so he was a man who kind of made the rounds around all the different kingdoms of the time. He met with many kings. It says in other extra-biblical texts that he met with Pharaoh, that he knew Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew of him. He was a, he was a famous man that kind of traveled around through all of the kingdoms. He was a, a priest of Midian, but, and he was kind of somebody that I like to describe that was probably a man who um, believed in many different gods. He believed in many different, uh, he kind of just wherever he was, when in Rome, he traveled around and he met and he gave service and honor to whoever he was and whoever he, um, whoever he was meeting with. And so in this passage here, Moses describes all of the things that God has done for the children of Israel and delivered the children of Israel with a great and mighty judgments against Egypt. And that here, Jethro, he bows down, he makes offering to God, he praises the Lord, and some in the, um, some Hebrew, um, or I'm sorry, Jewish commentary on this subject says that they believe Jethro became a convert to the God of Israel at this time. Where he confessed his belief that forsaking all other gods, that he became and he believed in the God of Israel at this time because of the great judgments that came upon the Egyptians. 
So this man that, you know, had some prestige and honor is actually thought of very honorably amongst those, um, amongst Judaism and amongst those that believe in the Torah. He comes, they meet, they have a great, um, they have a great feast, they see about each other's well-being as it's described here in our scripture, and they just, it's a wonderful time, they make offering to God, they share a meal. And it's a wonderful family reunion with this man, of Moses, with his father-in-law. Every time in our scripture it also says, every time it says Jethro in our scripture, it says Moses' father-in-law. It distinguishes him. We're not talking about any other Jethro here. We're talking about clearly the one that every time his name is mentioned, he is given the attribution that he is the father-in-law of Moses. Why is that exactly? A couple of opinions on why that might be. One is that it continues to portray the connection between Jethro and with Moses. That there is that this is not just some sort of man that's walking through, that, that comes and meets with Moses, like who is this guy exactly? It's like, no, there was a family connection between him and with Moses, and that distinction is made every single time so that we don't make that mistake. It's also thought of that it actually gives more prestige and honor to this man Jethro. Because we already know what God is doing with Moses. Moses is this man that God speaks to. He speaks his word through Moses and that it gives more honor and prestige to this man, Jethro, who you know came from these other nations and he traveled around. He was a man of prestige, but again, he's simply a man of the time. And so it gives more honor and reverence to him that he is truly a part of Israel and he's attached to Moses. What then happens after this is very interesting, as Jethro is saying here. Let me now read at uh, verse 13 of chapter 18 here. And this is the next day. After they have this family reunion, they have a great meal. Jethro makes burnt offerings and praises God. He then says this, It was on the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father Father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for your people. So you may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way that in which they must walk in the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you for they will bear the burden with you and if you do this thing and God so commands you then you will be able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in peace so Moses heeded the word the voice of his father-in-law he did all that he had said and Moses chose able men out of Israel 
made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. In hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. It's after this that Jethro departs from his from Moses's presence. Very interesting, very good counsel. Anybody who's ever been in any sort of organizational structure, this is good counsel to delegate to not have one person be ruling over and making every judgment call in all of these things. Several questions I've always had every time I read this scripture is that this advice comes from Jethro it doesn't come from God. They very, you could easily rewrite this passage. I don't recommend rewriting scripture. But you could easily have read this and said, God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, you take, you do too much. You shall do these things. Set up these leaders of captains of thousands and hundreds and fifties and do these things. And God could have given this advice. But it's Jethro that does the advice. Why is that? Well, there's a couple of things that we can learn. Sometimes God speaks through somebody else. Sometimes in your entire life, has God always spoken to you and given you good advice, good counsel, and led you in all the places, even though you stand as a testimony, as a believer of God, that you've walked with God and God is leading your footsteps, is every piece of advice that you've ever gotten came to come directly from God? No. We're giving a biblical example here where somebody, a good man, somebody who has some prestige here in the scripture, sometimes is the one that gives you good advice and that you follow it. And then you're asking, it's all like, well, did God really command for this to be? And you question, it's like, okay, is this the advice of man or is this the advice of God? Very interesting here, if you read closely, Jethro specifically says, here, here's this advice. And then he even, he's still giving honor and reverence to this God that he could just confess belief in the day before. He says, if God commands you to do this, then do this. It doesn't say in the scripture that God spoke or intervened or said, no, that's not good counsel. But what it is, is it then he heeded the counsel and it seemed like this was a good thing for the children of Israel as he raised up other men to judge on various matters that was amongst the congregation. This is good advice. This is, this is sound advice that we have, that has been proven time and time again for thousands of years through organizational structure that this is good to delegate these things for those to solve issues and problems that are below the one who is at the very head of the organization. Good advice. So for us, what we can do is we can look and never sneer your nose at the counsel that might come from somebody else. And if, there's certain people at times, I've run into them myself, who do tend to always say, well, I'm, I'm just waiting for the Lord's confirmation on that. I'm waiting for the Lord to confirm that that's a good piece of advice. I, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to you at this time, but I'm just waiting for the Lord to, to speak that into my life. The problem is, is that sometimes the Lord uses other people to speak into people's lives. That he doesn't just speak audibly to everyone. There is a, a pitfall that people fall into to over-spiritualize all the things and all the good things in your life as all these spiritual gifts from God when truly sometimes good, sound judgment and advice comes from a fellow man, from a believer. And he's a believer. He's on, the, he's on your side, he's maybe even a family member, that he then speaks these things into your life. That you take that good counsel, and then that is good for you to do, for you to follow. Especially if they are honoring and reverent to the God you believe in, and they say, hey, you know, if God, if God commands this, and he says that you, know, you should do this, well then follow that, of course. Or if he, he says that this is bad advice, follow that, of course. But if then you don't hear that, command from God, if you don't hear that confirmation, you still can take that good advice 
and you can test it and you can use it and it can serve you and serve you well. So that's good sound advice that you should follow even when the advice comes from a man and you don't want to always over-spiritualize every good conversation that you have with somebody. So that's, to me, the counsel that can be had from this. One of the other things that's going on here is that the children of Israel appropriately named the children of Israel, were very disorganized. They were, not, they were a, a group of slaves that just came out of Egypt a couple of months earlier. And they are they're unorganized. They don't understand this. They were able to go to war in our last Torah portion. Joshua took some men and led them into battle. But the only reason why they won that battle is by a miracle of Moses standing on a mountain with his arms spread out that allowed them to prevail over the Amalekites. If God, Moses isn't standing there, then they were going to lose that battle. So they were not organized enough to be a great company of warriors that we sometimes think the children of Israel to be. You know, later on in the scripture, we see them very organized and ready to go to war and they number the, the people. They know exactly how many warriors they have over the age of 20, all of these things. But here at this time, they didn't have that. We're in the process of maturing the children of Israel where we give them this instruction to form yourself up, make leaders amongst yourselves, and create some organization. Get your life in order, if you will. Because what's about to happen here is God is going to make covenant with this people. And there needs to be some preparation before God is going to make covenant with them. They have to be ready to receive the Lord. They have to be organized so that when it comes time that they're going to line up at the mountain, which is going to happen here in chapter 19, They're going to line up at the mountain. And are they going to spend all that time squabbling about who's standing where and who and in what group while we're talking about one of the greatest moments in all of history where the God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, is going to come down on the mountain, is going to make covenant with this people. And we're going to have a group of people that are squabbling amongst themselves where they're supposed to stand and who's behind who and in what line and gathered in what family. Very logical progression for us to happen right before that for the children of Israel to learn to maybe organize themselves that you have groups of 10 and groups of 50 and groups of 100 and groups of thousands so that we all are in the right place standing and there's not a bunch of you know confusion going on amongst the congregation. Because this is what's going to happen. As we now go into chapter 19, this is where it begins. The covenant, God is making a covenant with the children of Israel. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came out, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, camped in the wilderness, so Israel camped before the mountain. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. You have seen all I have done to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Moses came and called all the elders of the people. He laid before them all these words the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words to the people of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. 
So Moses told the words to the people to of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, "Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai, in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed yourselves that you do not go up on the mountain nor touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast he shall not live when the trumpet sounds long they shall come near to the mountain so Moses went down to the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes and he said to the people be ready for the third day do not come near your wives this is where we now have some ceremony going on where God is going to come down the almighty powerful bridegroom is going to come down on the mountain he's going to join with his bride this is going to be one of the fi- one of the greatest moments in all of human history where the children of Israel are going to come. They're going to consecrate themselves for three days. They're going to wash their clothes. They're going to be clean. This makes perfect sense as we get into later commandments about any time that you uh, approached before the Lord. You were to be clean. You were not to be anything that would defile you or cause you to be unclean. Those that were married were not to lay with their wives so that they were not unclean in any way, shape, or form before this is about to happen. This is where we start to get some of the first instances of what some of these ceremonies can be done to prepare for a covenant. There are some who get married through the process of a marriage that keep some of these same practices. There are some who, before they get married, they will not, the bride and the groom will not see each other for three days prior to the wedding. They will take a mikvah. They will prepare themselves to be joined in with the covenant. So that everything is right. Everything is good. Everything is appropriate. That they are truly ready for this covenant. And this is the example that we have. We have this initial word in this covenant where God says, You are a special treasure to me. I choose you among all the nations. I'm king of all the earth, but I choose you to be a kingdom of priests. And you to be a holy nation. Where God has confessed his love to the children of Israel. And it's almost he's asked, will you marry me? Will you be in covenant with me? And the children of Israel say, all the Lord has said, we will do. It's almost as if they're saying, I do, in the process of this covenant being made. Very powerful things that are happening here. What happens also is when God does come down onto this mountain, and they come before the Lord, and they're all standing there, great power, thundering lightning takes place on this mountain. And the children of Israel become afraid. They become afraid of this of God that is coming down and coming to join with them. There's a, some trepidation, there's some fear associated with this. Very natural. The children of Israel, we see them, and we see them almost react as very scared, very afraid. It's, not a, it's a fear of dread. It's not a fear of awe and wonder at the power of who they're joining in with the covenant. There's a fear that they have. When in truth of fact, fear is very natural. When you go and ask any bride before they get married if there was ever a moment of fear before they got married. If there was some cold feet, there was some, some like, oh, what am, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I in this white dress for? What am, why have I spent three days getting ready for this? And that's very, very natural. And because there's supposed to be such an honor and a reverence for who they're marrying, for this groom, for this man that they've chosen to marry, that there is, there is a sense of fear. And when he's standing there in a tux, he's as strong and powerful and stately as they've ever seen him before. That is simply what God is doing here. 
showing his power, it's coming down on a mountain and, and thunder and lightning when he speaks. It's, there's thunder and there's lightning and there's power in everything that is going on. Because this is a very special time that this covenant is being formed. The children of Israel, however, they, their fear overcome, comes over them. It takes over their, their thought process and all of these things. What we're going to have here is the reading of the Ten Commandments in, in chapter 20. And right after that's read, and after God is speaking to Moses, but God said, the children of Israel will be allowed to hear my voice as I'm speaking it. And it sounded like thunder and it sounded like lightning. And they were so afraid that when Moses comes back down, they say, Moses, you let God speak to you. If we hear the voice again, we will surely die. Words of fear, words of dread that they feel like they're going to die. Now, we're already talking about a God we've already established has not brought them into the wilderness for them to die. He did not bring them into the wilderness for them to just die of thirst or die of hunger or die because God's just going to, you know, run some thunder down there and wipe them out. No, God, this is a God who is meeting his need, meeting their needs. And who is in it for them. Who loves them. Who provides for them. He's not going to kill them. So why are you standing here in fear that if he speaks again, I'm going to die? He's not going to kill you. He's there to make covenant with you. But the children of Israel, the lessons that we learn as we go, we're not ready for this covenant. We're not ready for all of these words. We can read these words here in our lives today. And we can take them to heart and we can know and we can desire to make covenant with God. But the children of Israel at this time, they were still too immature in their faith. Even though we did all of these things, we meet their needs, we organize them and they're ready to receive the covenant from God. They simply were not ready. And we know this is all a greater plan of God so that a greater group of people can be joined to Him in a future regathering. But when we read these instructions, we see what God is doing. We see that he's making covenant with those people and that we, if we accept these vows of, if I will do this, I will not do that, then we then join with him and it becomes a good marriage covenant. This is what we should follow. This is why we read these words and this is why we are to keep the commands of God so that we can be in covenant with him. Now, as we go to Exodus chapter 20, where God is speaking and everyone could hear these words and these commandments as they're coming. This is another one of those passages that is traditionally read start to finish. That you don't just read part of it, that when it's read through the scripture we read start to finish because of the power of the language and all of those things. And many of us have heard these Ten Commandments before, but as always, when we come to this portion, I like to read these commandments and we should always go over them and remember how to keep this covenant with God that he made with the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 20, God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. In it you shall do no work. 
you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. That is the Ten Commandments. Many of us have heard it before. And there's so many more things that we can go into the details of what these commandments mean. And to sum it up, I like to always cover these things. When we look at these commandments, these are not hard to keep. These are not hard to follow. These are when you look at all the commandments of Scripture and all the things that God has asked the Levites to do and all all the other passages of Scripture where the Jews say there's 613 commandments and that they're all to be followed... When you look at, when you boil it down, there are certain commandments that are for wives to honor their husbands. There are certain commandments for priests. There are certain commandments for children to honor their parents. When it's all said and done, for all of us to follow, how many commandments should we all follow? It boils down to about ten. Right here, here, these are the ones that every person can keep. And it even is able to be simplified even more. To where all of these commandments all fall under two things, two commandments that which all of the law and the prophets hang. That these two tablets of stone that contain these commandments all hang off of two different things. One, love God. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The greatest commandment. If you keep that commandment, then what should follow is all of the first five of these ten commandments. Where it says, I am the Lord your God. That's done in the um, imperative mood to where this is a commandment that says, God saying, believe in me. And he then says, have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven image. Don't have any other God before me. I am the one true God. If you love me, you will believe in me and you will follow me. Those commandments then follow after, right after that. Don't take his name in vain. Don't curse the Lord. Don't use the Lord's name to curse someone else. Do not make it common. Do not make it worthless or vain. In fact, the Hebrew word there for vain is shav, which means emptiness or falsehood or worthlessness. Do not make the name of God worthless in any way, shape, or form. Remember the Sabbath day, which is the first appointed time of God. When we look at the appointed times and we talk about the holidays, the Sabbath is the first, where God says, I rest on this day. This is the time in which I make an appointment to meet with you. You too rest. Let your servants rest. Let all who are with you rest so that they too can have an appointment with me each and every week on the Sabbath day. That's when you are to meet with me and be with me. And then honor your father and mother. If you cannot honor the physical Parents that you have, what you can see, then how can you ever honor your heavenly father which you cannot see? And the New Testament covers this as well, where it says you cannot say you love God and hate your brother because how can you love something unseen when you hate something that can be seen? You cannot do it. So these first five commandments are all about believing in God. And if you love him, you will keep those commandments. The next Five commandments all have to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. If you keep that commandment, then all the rest of these other commandments will follow. You will not covet something that belongs to them. It belongs to them. You love them as you love yourself. You don't want somebody to take something of yours. So don't covet what they have. 
In fact, that's the commandment that you break before you do any of the other ones. You will not murder somebody unless you covet something. You covet some sort of value that comes from you because their life has ended. You don't commit adultery unless you covet something that you covet some other woman besides your wife. You won't steal something unless you covet it. Unless you want to have it, so you take it for yourself. And you won't bear false witness against somebody unless there's something in it for you. Unless there's something, some sort of prestige that you covet, so you'll bear false witness or you'll lie so that you covet blessing and you won't have judgment. That's You will covet something before you commit any of those things. And all of that boils down to love your neighbor as yourself, which Yeshua spoke and said, on this the law and the prophets hang. These two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's as if those two tablets of stone hang on two nails and one is about loving God and one is about loving your neighbor. And if you don't do those things, then you have basically taken one of those tablets and it's broken on the floor. That you have then not kept either of those commandments. I also look at it this way. This is sort of, uh, this is my opinion when I look at this. And this came to me as I was studying these again for this year. Is that on the last five commandments where it says you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. In the Hebrew there's a gap and a space between every you shall not and then commit something. The Hebrews, or the Jewish uh, rabbis say that that is because every time those sins are committed, you pause before you do it. There's a pause that there is almost as if you know that it's wrong. And this is actually one of the things that I looked at this as I prayed to the Lord and thought, Wait, what are some of these other distinctions that can help us to follow these things? These commandments here at the end are commandments of morality that even people who are not believers know is wrong. They know it's wrong to steal, wrong to murder. Wrong to cheat on somebody you're committed to. Wrong to bear false witness against somebody and to lie and say this and cause judgment to befall them. These are commandments of morality. These are things that the Holy Spirit inside of us convicts us and we know they are wrong. The first five, however, have to be an act of our will. Almost naturally, it's natural for a young child, as soon, when their parents start to teach them, it's natural for a young child to stop and sometimes think and like question the authority, dishonor their parent. It's almost like a natural thing for a child to want to leave their father's house and to dishonor their parents. It has to almost be an act of their will to turn back to their parents and honor them. In the same way that keeping Sabbath, how many times do we make excuses for not keeping the Sabbath? Because, well, if it's supposed to be a delight to me, then I'm going to do it this way, or I'm going to make it like this. And we try to find loopholes. There's no loopholes in the last five commandments. There really are not. Those are wrong, you know it, and you know in your heart and in your spirit that they're wrong. The ones that come before it is the ones where we have to truly choose God through an act of our will to choose Him. Because our sinful nature of man always goes following after and lusting after other things and other gods. The last ones are simply ones of morality that many know. It's almost like you can sort of break them down in those two ways. That it, I like to always look to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of the simple ones of not committing murder and not stealing. What we have to do is we have to look to the Holy Spirit and as an example. And sometimes God uses something that He says later to then convict us, to then teach us about something that comes before. 
He does this through the power of Yeshua. So many people have come into the faith and believing in the commandments of God because they're first saved by grace through the words of Yeshua. And that God has the power to, de- to declare the ends from the beginning. It's almost as if I could look at it this way. The same spirit inside you that convicts you to know murder and stealing and lying is wrong. We have to seek that same spirit, that same helper, to then follow after so that we commit solely to God, believing in Him, His words, His commandments, and keeping the Sabbath, that we want the Spirit to help us to do those things. I find it interesting that many people have no problem with the last five, but man, when we come to the first five commandments, that's the ones that we always question, and we look for all the loopholes on how we get around it, and we have the same debate with many of our New Covenant brethren about the Sabbath day, and what day it is, and how to follow it, and how to not do any work, and we always have so many more debates, if you will if you will, about those first commandments, about who is God, what, it is, what is His character. Oh yeah, we know stealing is wrong. Yeah, we know lying is wrong. We know murder is wrong. But why can't we have that same conviction for our God? I want to submit to us that we continue to pray and seek after God for that spirit that convicts us, that it's not about the words here being on the page, but that it's about God writing His commandments and His covenants upon our hearts, that it simply comes out of us through the Spirit, and that it's, that it's ingrained in us, and it's not because it's been written down on a piece of paper or on tablets of stone, but it's been written on our very hearts in our very lives. The children of Israel heard God's voice at this time when He made covenant. The same powerful, thundering, booming voice that created the entire world. That created the existence of the earth and separated light and darkness and made all the creatures and all the plants and all of the entire earth. The same voice that made those things spoke to this physical group of people and they heard it in their hearts and in their ears. Do you think it's possible that God, when He spoke, that He created something inside that people, inside that generation, and spoke something onto their hearts? That these commandments that we read here, now they say after this, we can't hear any more, and so then the rest of the commandments that follow all were written down in a book, and then were taught through Moses. But these words here, those were spoken, and were heard in all the hearing of the children of Israel by the voice of God. Do you think it's possible that that was truly written into their hearts, into their lives, into their DNA, when those words were spoken? So that then when somebody comes into a faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they believe in His power and His covenant, that they then suddenly believe something that was always there, that was always written into their hearts and into their lives. That's one of the things that I believe, that when people have come into faith and they have a love for Israel and they have a love for God and they have no explanation of it. Though they've never heard it before, they've heard you know, um, inklings of it in the, in the church about Israel and that's God's chosen people and then they feel like they're a, a part of it. I believe that God has written into our genetic code to believe in Him when we hear His words again. When we hear the words of God and when we see the words on a page, it confirms in our heart what has already been written on our hearts and in our lives. I'd like to think that the words, I pray that the words that we read and the teachings that we have impact you and speak to your heart and simply confirm something that's already there. I don't want somebody to hear the words of a teaching and follow it because the speaker spoke well or because what they said was catchy or funny or sensational in their speech. No, the words that are spoken to truly teach and instruct have to be something 
that speaks into your life and ignites something and reminds you of something that's already there inside your life. Praying that the Lord has written on your heart His love, His commandment, that He's already chosen you as a special treasure amongst all the nations so that as God teaches us and as we hear these teachings and these words and these instructions, it confirms that we are His chosen people. And it's a part of the greatest story ever where God has chosen us, but we've fallen away, but there's a great restoration, the great act three of that wonderful romantic story of us returning back to Him and joining with Him in the end. What a great and beautiful day that would be. And may the teachings and the words of the Lord always do that for us and remind us of Him, His power, His glory, and that we would confess to Him, He is our God and we are His people. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for your teaching, your instruction. We thank you for the covenant that you made with the children of Israel. We thank you, Lord, for the Ten Commandments and the power that you spoke into them and that you have written into their lives, Lord. And may us, the descendants of the children of Israel, those that have been adopted into that family, Father, I pray that we would look to these words and that we would say, I do, to the covenant that you have made with them. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us as a special treasure from amongst all the nations. May you make us to be a kingdom of priests, Father, as we join in with you. Though our ancestors have sinned against you, Father, and you have made sacrifice and means and substitutions, Lord, for us to remain in covenant with you, we thank you, Lord, for those and those blessings. May we confess our sins and our iniquity, and may we always turn to you for all of our blessings, Lord. So we love you, we bless you, and thank you on this day. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. The blessing after the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet V'chayalam Nata Betocheinu Baruch Adonai Nonten HaTorah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, If you would, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. This is the one Torah portion, uh, Yithro, in which that uh, you don't have to struggle very much to find content to teach the Torah, since it is the giving of the law by God himself on Mount Sinai. Uh, It pretty much fits the theme of the whole teaching of the Torah. And obviously, um, the day that took place, when God spoke the Ten Commandments, that was a compelling uh, thing. I've always wondered, you know, how I would have reacted had I been standing at the base of Mount Sinai to hear the voice of God speak His commandments. And in, in previous teachings, we've talked about how Psalms 29 speaks about the, the voice of God and about how that it very large and very compelling to have heard God speak from that. It was a fearsome thing. Uh, it, it was overwhelming to hear it. Thank God there wasn't 11 commandments, I think is the general feeling uh, that the Israelites felt. They felt that if they heard any more, they would surely die. So it was obviously a compelling thing that took place. Even more so than just him speaking it on that day, uh, was the content of what he spoke. 
that there is no better set of rules for man to live by than by the commandments of the Lord. Uh, and the fact of the matter is all good rules and good laws that come from civilized peoples, uh, the reality is that they all really, the roots of all those good things come back from the Lord, the Creator, and from the giving of the Torah. I think that's one of the reasons why the Torah and the ancient scriptures continue to remain uh, with every generation. They're not just an ancient text. They are um, rules to live by. And they set so many standard definitions for us. What a blessing is. What a curse is. What, literally, what is right, what is wrong. They, all of these base and very profound things that we need to have as a part of our lives uh, are found in this Torah portion of when God spoke these commandments for all of mankind. And by the way, for the record, he didn't give these just to Israel. These commandments are for all people of the world. And anybody suggesting that the Torah is just for the Jews has never really been at the base of the mountain and had never really heard what he said and doesn't understand what he says. These commandments work for all people. And if we could get the whole world to follow these commandments, we would have a much different world than the one we have today. Amen? Now, uh, with that, just as a reminder of the portion we're in, the reason why we go to Matthew 5 is that this is when Yeshua is going to be talking. He's going to give his opinion about the law and the prophets. He's going to specifically speak to um, the Torah portion that we just have received. But let me begin at the start of uh, verse 1, and we'll get to that point. I want you to listen for a few months to what Yeshua taught just before he taught about his opinion of the law. Because you're going to hear something here that's going to give you a kind of a different perspective on what the law is about. And Yeshua is, of course, the greatest Torah teacher and will be the greatest Torah teacher. So I want you to listen. He's going to give you a teaching about what we have just gotten for this Shabbat. So with that said, chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, When he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Do you remember when God came down on the mountain? He's going up on the mountain. God spoke a certain teaching from the mountain. Yeshua's going to give a teaching from the mountain. Okay? Uh, verse 2, And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, so, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives life to light to all those in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now listen to the very next words. Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. That thought is not a separate topic from what you just heard. Yeshua has given a a very interesting teaching here about blessings, about good works, and then immediately hits them with, don't think just because I gave you this teaching that we're doing something from the law and the prophets. That these blessings that I just spoke to you about, they are not separate and different from the law and the prophets. And don't let yourself think that they are, because they're not. And he goes on to say, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. What he's saying is, my teaching to you is not something different from the law and the prophets. My teaching to you is to teach the real Torah to you. Because one of the greatest prophecies of the Messiah is the Torah shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord, out of Jerusalem. That the Jewish people know that the Messiah is to be the greatest Torah teacher they will ever be. His wisdom will exceed the sages of Israel. All of them put together. And so he is giving you a teaching that's about the law and the prophets, but he knows There's going to be this tendency on the part of a lot of folks, they'll hear this, what he has said, and they think, oh, that's different from the law and the prophets. Because they think the law and the prophets is a bunch of do-nots and and do-dos. And he is talking about things to do and what will happen if you do them. By the way, the Torah teaches that. Obey the Lord and you'll get the blessings. That's what God taught Abraham. I see that you will obey my word, therefore will I bless you, Abraham. And God wants to set this up to where that we all get the blessings. He wants us to be happy. He wants this to be good for all of us, for him. And here's the Yeshua talking about wonderful, good things. Wouldn't you like to be happy? Would you like to get mercy? Then give mercy. You know, would you like to be forgiven? Then forgive. All of these concepts are a part of the deeper understanding of what the Torah is really trying to teach us. It's really, you know. In fact, I uh, have always told folks, uh, as a super simplification of the Torah, I can basically tell you what the whole purpose of the Torah is, so that you make good judgments. You learn how to make good judgments. You learn the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. 
righteous and unrighteous, pure and impure, holy and unholy. You learn all these things. Guess what Yeshua is talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm helping you to discern and to understand the difference between this and that. And so he's really teaching Torah. In fact, you could say he's teaching the highly polished version of Torah. So when he says, think not that I've come, he's trying to make sure that we get it, that this teaching that Yeshua is coming here, it's part of the teaching of the Torah. Now, let's step back for just a moment. This was certainly true in my uh, original teaching when I was first learning the faith. Uh, I was always told that what Yeshua came and did and what he taught us was completely separate and different from all the stuff that Moses and the prophets had done with Israel. That uh, the impression is, well, Moses and the prophets kind of did that thing and that's history but now Yeshua came, and now we're really on the big program of what God was really uh, doing here. Um, that is absolutely hokey. That is unsupported by the scriptures. And the only reason we find ourselves facing that, quite honestly, is because I truly believe the teachers that are teaching that have no idea what God was talking about with Moses and the prophets. They never really were taught what that's about. And so when Yeshua came, he was facing other similar people. They, they weren't getting what Moses had really said. And so he came teaching so you would under, really understand what Moses was talking about. Um, if you take these thoughts that he just said, what, who, who gets the blessings? And you kind of let them into your heart, and then you go back and you study Moses. You'll discover that there's a whole Torah portion on just being kind. Because he's talking about being kind here a lot, right? You have to be kind to people, you know, to do these things. You'll find there's a whole Torah portion on that. There's a whole Torah portion on how do you make judgments with your eyes, do you, do you make judgments by based on what you see, which is, by the way, limited? Or do you make judgments by the what you have heard? And, oh, by the way, what is it that we've heard? This is what God has said about that. Now, are you going to believe that and make judgments on that? Or are you going to make judgments on based on what you personally see? In other words, how are you going to think? How are you going to consider your life? How do you evaluate your life? How do you value your life? Do you want to hear God value your life? Or do you want to listen to your ego? Or worse, listen to other men who are more than willing to trash you. You know, here's what Yeshua is saying in the midst of that. He said, remember this. That so-called trashing they get from people. They did it to the others that know the Lord. To, you know, the men that you respect. To know the Lord. And oh, by the way, your reward is exceedingly great if it's on account of me. Now, that's in sharp contrast to the wails and woes of not being liked. You do know that the vast majority of people, and it usually begins in our youth, we become obsessed with being liked. I need people to like me. Teenagers in particular 
they will fall to peer pressure. Why? I want to be liked. They'll go and do foolish things because I want to be with my friends so they'll like me. And then the same is true as we become adults. We wear a certain attire so we'll be liked. I want to have a certain prestige, a certain reputation, so I'll be liked. When in truth of fact, the one person that you really need to have like you would be the Lord himself. Who cares what everybody else says when it's compared to what the Lord thinks of you? And if the Lord says you are a good person and you have the evidence that you've listened to him and you've obeyed him and followed what he said, you know before him he regards you as a good person and values you. And regardless of what others say about you, if they manner harm or evil against you, it no longer has the effect on you because you know who you are and you know what your true value is. If you're only looking to yourself for your value, that's when you, your ego goes nuts. You always overvalue yourself and don't take into account all of the stuff. Your friends, uh, other people will undervalue you. You need, you need the Lord to say where you're really at because that will be the truth. That's where you'll be. And so, and, and by the way, you'd know how to improve that by simply walking with the Lord and obeying Him and, and, and doing what He asks. And then you get the blessings, you get happiness, and, and you know who you are. And, and you're able to live with yourself a whole lot better than, than the other way that people are trying to do it. That's what the law is trying to teach us how to make good judgments, how to be a part of things that are wholesome, life-giving, life-enriching, true joys. Not the temporary fake stuff, real substantive joy, which we all would love to have more of. It comes from the Lord. And so his teaching is specifically expressing do not think that this wonderful teaching about life and joy and wholesomeness and goodness, do not think that's something different from the law and the prophets. In fact, my teaching is to come and fill up full of meaning what the law and the prophets is teaching. And I'm showing you this is what the law and the prophets is really about. It's about good things. Good things for us all. He goes on to say, and I need to specifically um, cover this. Verse uh, 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away the law until it's all accomplished. Well, first of all, let me take you back that um, that's a translation for what we think was said there. The King James Version Bible is the one I prefer for us English people on this because what he said in the King James was, not a jot or tittle shall pass away until all is accomplished. And of course, what's a jot and a tittle? That's the natural question. Sounds like an old English kind of, you know, they... They'll make little goofy words to describe something in the old English. That's not what's taking place here. Jot and tittle is not just some old English little dinky words. What it's really referring to is some scribal marks that are in the Torah. Scribal marks of which 
are not translated into any language. He's referring to something specifically that's written in the scroll by the scribes who make the copy of the Torah. And what you'll find if you get into an original copy of the Hebrew Scriptures that has been done by a scribe, you'll find out this jots and tittles thing that we're talking about here is really uh, four different classes of things. The scribes have taken certain letters and enlarged them and made them bold. Sometimes they have taken a letter and made it small. They've shrunk the letter in a word and made it small. Sometimes they have stigmatized, what we call stigmatized, the letters. They've drawn the letters in weird, unique ways, like reversing a letter, drawing it backwards, or lifting it off the baseline so it sets above the other letters, or stretching it out, or stretching out and breaking it in the middle. And each of these are like, I would say, word pictures, but they're more like letter pictures. And each one has a unique, specific teaching that goes back to the denotation of what that letter actually means by itself. And those understandings, those teachings that are integrated into those, are part of the teaching of the Torah and the prophets. And he's making reference to not only the substantive content of the words that have been given to us by Moses, but he's talking about the scribal marks where they have copied the scriptures and they want to make sure you get this teaching along with that. They are full of incredible substance. The jots are pretty much dots. There's certain words where the scribe puts a dot above each letter. And there are certain words and, and times when he does this. In the case of the Torah, there are four instances where jots are put together. And in the case of the Torah, there's about two dozen of these tittles. In the scriptures, there's estimated to be a hundred of these in Moses and the prophets. And if you go back to the original Hebrew, you can see these. And Yeshua is saying, that's how profound what is in there still remains. It says, even those things will remain until all is accomplished. Well, what was he referring to as all is accomplished? When he got up on the cross? That's what the church tells you. When he got on the cross, he accomplished all things, and therefore all of this went away. But he gave another definition to what all is accomplished just before it. He said, "When if heaven and earth are still here, we're not to the end yet. Now, basically the logic goes like this. If you get up in the morning and the sun rose that morning, then the Torah is still here, the law and the prophets are still Now, if you get up one morning and you suddenly find yourself in another place where there is no earth and there is no heaven and there is no sunrise and sunset and there is none of the natural things that we've got, then you might be able to have an argument that says, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about whether or not the Torah is still around too. But as long as there's a heaven and an earth, the Torah is here, he said. Now, let me just say that... 
we who are in the Messianic movement, one of the most, let me put it this way, one of the first controversies that we deal with, with our former brethren, our former church brethren, is this business of, did Yeshua come and do away with the law and the prophets, render them simply to history, or are they really still in effect and Yeshua has come and he's really teaching those things. They can't even get to the, the fantasy of that maybe Yeshua was teaching the law and the prophet. They can't even get to that possibility. I mean, this thing is so locked into our thinking, so stereotyped by our previous teachers that the law and the prophets have gone away with. That we have the Messiah, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the New Testament church, we have communion, we have all those good things. You know, that replaced all that. There are a lot of things in the world that don't make sense. And the one that I just described to you probably is at the pinnacle of that doesn't make sense at all. And yet, as you all know, we've all fallen prey to it. I certainly did. I was hook, line, and sinkered. I was, I was rendering the church doctrine. And it was hard for me to suddenly grasp what Yeshua was saying here as how profoundly different it was from everything I had known about the Messiah, everything I'd been taught about the Messiah, everything I'd been known about the church. And there is no mincing of words here with him. This is not kind of he like hinted at something. He is making bold, direct statements. And here is the irony for me that, that extends from this. There is, there's no question that Yeshua is the Messiah. He's the pinnacle of our faith. He's made this determination. This is what he had to say about the subject of, is the law and the prophets still with us? And are they still the basis of our training, our education, and still supposed to be a part of our relationship uh, with God? And yet they'll go and quote Paul. And argue from the Apostle Paul that he hinted at certain things that had gone away. And they'll pit the Apostle Paul against Yeshua of Nazareth over this subject. Not only have they committed blasphemy speaking against what Yeshua said. By the way, he is the God who gave those commandments on Mount Sinai. But they've also put a false rumor out about the Apostle Paul. And not only are you going to be guilty of, of, um, of um, blasphemy, you're going to be guilty of bearing false witness against him. In, in all of those cases, none of that lines up with what we're supposed to be pursuing in our faith. That's absolutely contrary what our faith is supposed to be. You know, as a result of you doing things that are contrary to the faith... Do you get the blessing for that, or do you get the curse for that? You get the curse. The law teaches it. If you blaspheme, it, this will not be good. You bear false witness, this will not be good. You steal, it will not be good. You commit adultery you adult, uh, with something, it will not be good. You know, the Torah has taught all these very specific things for us. It's got to be good. It's got to be right. It's got to be correct. And so if you find yourself in the midst of doing everything that is not correct, 
unrighteous, unholy. In the midst of that, guess what? You're going to get the curse. Now, the only reason why you don't have the curse in full measure is because of the mercy of God. And for the most part, and that was in my case, and I see that the same as many of my uh, New Covenant brethren, God, thank you, Lord, he looks down on our ignorance and he says, now they're too dumb to understand, uh, they're ignorant on the thing, I'll show mercy to them. And I'll try to give them some more time to figure it out. That's the only reason why we're not slaughtered already. The only reason why we haven't been judged already. Now, I don't know about you, but going into heaven and saying, well, I made it here because by the mercy of God, and I was really, really stupid when I was there before. I I don't know that that's going to get a lot of reward in the kingdom. Yeah, I was the stupidest one in my town. You know, I just don't see the reward connection there. We know that the Lord wants us to mature and grow in him and that the relationship is to increase in him and there are certain things I think when it comes to what the Messiah specifically said we ought to learn those things it ought to be just like peace in our heart we hear what Yeshua says and we have no issue with what he said we're in complete agreement with what he has said and he has said don't even think that I've come to abolish or do away with the law and the prophets. So you know what you got to do? you got to change your thinking. You have to change your thinking. And that means you may have to depart from what your previous teachers told you. You may have to listen to others rather than the ones that are in your peer group. The ones who are going to threaten and abandon you from their friendship. The ones that will withdraw their friendship if you continue to get go this way of in favor of the law and the prophets. Because they're just using that to try to hold you in place. And you know why? Because they know that if you continue down that path, they're not going to be liked. They know this will be the basis of you to regard them slightly different than the way you had regarded them before. I mean, if there's no differences between us, you like each other. But if there's a difference, all of us say, oh, well, I, I like him, but there's this one thing here that's different. And they don't want any of that. They want to be liked. And they're more concerned about, you know, getting along with others. And so they'll easily trade off and decide not to like you anymore. Because they want to leverage you. But you have to make some fundamental decisions. Whom do I want to please? Do I want to please the Lord? Or do I want to please men? Well, one of the great teachings of the faith is that Yeshua came. You should seek the pleasure of God over all other things. If you get that right, get that straight, then all of the wonderful things of life will be, will be yours. You'll have all the blessings. But you've got to get that one item going correctly first between your relationship between you and God. Verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others, 
shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've all had our teachers uh, from before, and that's what they used to do. They would go through and say, oh, that commandment doesn't apply anymore. They just would annul it. They just mean it of no value, no meaning, and they would just dismiss it out of hand. Some of them would try to twist things and say, well, we still believe in the moral law. And, uh, but we don't believe in the, the ritual law. We don't believe in the religious law. Really. Really. They are so smart, they can go through and parse out God's commandments and say, well, God, on this one you did okay on that one. That one you didn't do very good on that one. I mean, can you imagine standing at the base of Mount Sinai? Listening to God speak his commandments and you holding a little mini Bible study there with your friends and say, now you just heard that one, but that one doesn't apply to us. You've got to be kidding me. And so here's what Yeshua says. If you know even the least of these commandments, by the way, the least commandment is the act of kindness. If you annul even the act of kindness that I've commanded you to do, you should be least in the kingdom. I know for a fact that there's going to be some very established, very public religious men that have lived in my day. They're going to be shocked to find out what their reward is in the kingdom. They are going to be stunned to discover they really fouled this part up. We have a tendency to regard religious men and and lift them up, uh, devout men and uh, men who've committed their lives, and and rightfully so, rightfully so. It's appropriate. We should honor where honor is due. However, Yeshua goes on to say the following Verse 20, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me go ahead and just tell you, you know, something that's a fact. The most religious Christian man you've ever met in your life is, is a, at best, a close second to what a scribe and a Pharisee used to be in Yeshua's day. These men would fast twice a week, faithfully. These men, when they put their sandals on it, did it in a certain disciplined way. They said their prayers in a certain protracted way. They spent the majority of their time daily worshiping and praying to God. And offering counsel to the other brethren and being of assistance. And so you you want to talk about a religious man. They, They were... Wow. They were impressive. And Yeshua looks at them for all that they've done, and he says, I'm, I'm here to tell you <laughs> right now with me, your righteousness better be better than them, or there's a, you know, there's a good chance you, you might not make it. You know why we know they're not going to make it? 
is because they heard what God said and decided it's not what he said, and they decided to change it from what he said, and they decided not to believe what he said. And they just disqualified themselves. I mean, you can go around with the title being religious all you want. But that's not a substitute for that you hear what God says and you do what he says. And when you find yourself in a situation of what I call groupthink, where there's a whole bunch of you thinking the same way that isn't correct, now we're getting ready to measure out where your courage is at. We're getting ready to measure out where your real faith is at. Will you listen to him in, in spite of all the others? Will you obey the Lord even when everybody else is taking you to task for having done so? Wow. That's the real righteousness of God. It's when you only want to pursue, are you ready for this? The righteousness of God, not your own righteousness. Unless your righteousness is that of God and not of men, you will not be making it. That's really what he said. The only way that we can achieve that, the only way, the only path for us in that regard, is we must listen to what he had to say, and that's what we will do. He said, trust me, believe in him. Do it this way, do it that way. Don't modify it because it's not convenient for you. Don't modify it because you got everybody else to agree with you about that. Just do what he says. And once you do, then the scales come off your eyes. You can see better. Your, your, your mind, instead of being dull of these things, suddenly becomes clear and you understand better. All of a sudden, your ears get unstopped and you can hear, you can hear him better. And it's completely different. It's completely different. I have some friends, um, that uh, some new friends I've, I've gotten in the last oh year or so. Sweet people, sweet couple, Christians, normal struggles of life, raising kids, you know, living, working, you know, and all that. And they have gotten to know um, me, and. They considered me, and I'm repeating their words, they considered me to be one of the most interesting men they've ever met in their life. For whatever that's worth. Um, but they can't pull the trigger and say, well, what are you doing and why are you doing what you're doing? Because it's different from what we do. But they have this kind of interest, but they can't quite see it applying to them. And the reason why is because if they were to do that, their whole social structure involved with the church would absolutely blow up on them. And they are protecting that church and all their brethren and all that as much as they possibly can. And they're still caught in the thing of where men are telling them that is the pursuit of God. And yet, here's what God says, and they're doing the opposite of what God said. They're still wrestling. Do I want to follow what men say about God or do I want to follow what God said about God?
And that's what all of us in the Messianic movement have to go through. We all are learning that fundamental lesson. And the way to learn that fundamental lesson, how to come to terms in that relationship with God, is you've got to go back and you've got to have somebody teach you the Torah and the prophets. So you can learn the lessons of the original men who built a relationship with God, our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, about Moses, about the prophets, so that we can have a real relationship with the living God. So when the Messiah comes, it makes sense. And he's the fulfillment. He's the one that fills it up for us and makes it even greater for us. Amen? All right. That's our lesson for this Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom. And now we leave you with the ironic blessing. you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around singing Shabbat Shalom, everybody sing. Shalom. 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 a gift from God Let's put a smile upon your face He's got the whole world in His hands So obey His commands And you will know peace Shalom
全了。